Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. This month on the Power Alley, we're going to take a look back at June as the Bisons had their most successful month in recent memory with a 20-win campaign. We'll catch up with longtime Indianapolis Indians broadcaster Howard Kelman to recall some of his thoughts of coming to the downtown ballpark for now 32 years and the long rivalry that stands between the Buffalo Bisons and the Indianapolis Indians. But first here on the Power Alley, I had a chance to catch up with Hunter Mentz earlier in June. Mentz is a hitting coordinator in the Blue Jays organization this year after spending 2018 as the hitting coach for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. With New Hampshire, Mentz helped lead the offense to an Eastern League championship and helped many of the hitters that are now in Buffalo enjoy some of the success last year and stuff to build on as they came to 2019. Mentz was also a successful college coach and player at Missouri. I talked to him about his time as a college coach in addition to the work he's done this year with the Toronto Blue Jays. Welcome back to Buffalo. I know you've been with this team a little bit this year. Can you talk about your role as a hitting coordinator in the, in the Blue Jays organization? Um, still getting used to it. Still trying to figure out my way, figure out what the best way to go about it. But I think the best way to describe it is um, not nearly spending as much time with players now as I used to and not what I'm, I'm used to in the past. Um, spending more time with coaches, whether it be um, in the office or on the phone or when I'm actually here in the cages with them going through some things. So having different relationships with those coaches and, and just supporting them and, and kind of setting the tone and setting the idea of what we want to do as an organization and, and helping the coaches go and navigate through some of that. How have you felt you've settled in over the first couple of months of the role? Um, it's, it's different. Um, I like parts of it, some parts I don't, and I'm getting used to. Um, not being in the cage, not having a team, not being with your 12 or 13 hitters throughout the course of the year, that's tough. That's harder for me to get used to. Um, but it's also the core part about that is I get to now see all the hitters in the organization. So I, I really enjoy that. Um, and, and I really enjoy getting to go around and work with and be with all the hitting coaches um, and just continuing to build the relationships with all those guys. because. I think we have really good hitting coaches at every level that I wish everybody, all of our hitting coaches had the same opportunity that I did to go around and watch each of them coach because they all have their own special talents of how they go about it and what they do. Um, so it's, it's really cool. We'll, we'll do some, some conference calls with everybody, and so it's good for them to kind of talk and hear everybody else say, hear what they're doing. Um, so it's, that part of it's been really cool couple of guys that you had last year more than a couple guys are, are here in AAA this year with Corey Hart how has that relationship with Corey uh, been built and you know um, fostered over the last year it's good um, Corey and I get along really well and I've, I've spent more time here this year than I have at any other affiliate so I've gotten to spend a ton of time with him and just helping him and him helping me because he's he's been around professional baseball for a really long time so he's seen what good coordinators do what bad coordinators do and and he's helped me and, and how I can support him and help him. So um, we were already kind of in constant communication last year and just talking about some of the players that went up and down. And, and then this year, too, if there's a ton of guys that I had last year that um, he's had now, and he gives me a call, and we talk about certain players and how to affect those guys and how to work with those guys. And it's a good relationship. I really enjoy Corey, and I think he does a great job of kind of setting the – 
setting the tone, doing a good job of keeping a light environment, making it to where guys want to come to the cages. He's a great guy for this level because he's not going to push something on these guys, and he's going to ask the right questions and support the players how they want to be supported. Is there a point of pride for you that you've got guys like Vladdy and even Kevin? They're already in the big leagues, uh, less than a year from being in Double A, and you helped them in their progression to get where they are today. Um, a little bit, but it's it's more so just I was so much of a more of a fan than anything with those guys last year, and just being around them and getting to pick their brains more than anything. I, I think being around really high level hitters. If you ask good questions and you kind of keep your eyes and ears open enough, you're going to be able to learn a ton of stuff from those guys. And and with Kevin and Bo and and Vladdy last year, it's like if if I was just to not step in and say something dumb or say something stupid or have them do something that they weren't comfortable with, they were going to be perfectly okay. And and what I've learned about those three that I've taken and, and told a lot of people is. They were so secure with themselves. They were so set on the things that they wanted and the things that they needed. And it was just me building up a relationship with those guys. So if they wanted to, they could come to me and ask me questions because I had seen them throughout the entire year. But more so than anything, just building a relationship with them to where they got to that point. And it took a little bit of, a, I guess, a longer while with with Kevin and, and Bo just because they've they're so sure of themselves that it takes a little bit longer to build up a relationship with those guys. And, and that's how it should be. You want your really good hitters to be that way. And they're usually like that because they're not just going to listen to anybody and they're not just going to take whatever you say and just start doing it. So there's, there's something to that. And I think that's one of our jobs as coaches in professional baseball is get guys more to think that way. Is there anyone that you maybe worked with the, mo- the most last year, someone that we may not know uh, necessarily right on the radar that maybe had the, a good season that you worked with and really helped them through? Um, I guess the guy that I think we kind of took the most pride in as a staff and his progressions was Harold Ramirez. And a guy that he's not with us anymore, but he's up in the big leagues right now with the Marlins hitting 330 or whatever it is. Um, and he just like his progressions that he made throughout the year. I mean, there was constant work and consistent work that he did and that we supported him with and that we were all in with him and watching him grow from the start of the year to the end of the year and watching the things that he did was was pretty cool um john birdie another former bison and and he's now in the big leagues again with the marlins too but he was another guy that just took off and we watched him soar throughout the time that he was there and and one of my favorites that i've ever had was was jd and just having jd in that first half and watching him i thought the coolest part with jd was was watching him start to own everything that he was doing a little bit more and being a little bit more secure with who he was as a hitter and, and who he was as a person and, and watching him take off and take ownership in the things that he did. Was there a moment that, that you saw that change for him? Yeah, I remember we were having a conversation in the cage one time and it was a pretty eye-opening experience for me because it, it, it made me step back and realize how every player, if... If you're not careful with them and you haven't gotten to know them well enough or know their swings well enough, they're going to listen and they're going to take in a lot of the stuff that you say. And it was a conversation that him and I had, and he was talking to me about how he had had a bunch of coaches throughout his career that had had him do all these different things. And it was eye-opening because none of it was ever his stuff. None of it was ever his ideas that he had come up with. And so I remember we sat there and talked for like an hour, and it was just about 
getting his thoughts and getting his ideas on everything. And, and from there on out, it was just like me helping to reinforce to him what those were. And so it was all stuff that he came up on his own, up with on his own. And then he just started taking it to the next level. Just a couple more moments here with Hunter Mentz on Countdown to Bison's Baseball. One about ask you about your time in the college ranks, a very successful college player, and then you transitioned to being a coach uh, at Missouri. How was that transition maybe? What was that decision like at, at just 30 years old and deciding to, to become a coach? Um, so I'll take it all the way back to my junior year of college. Um, I had a really good sophomore year of college and then really struggled. I played for Team USA after my sophomore year, so going into my junior year, I was teammates with Scherzer, and we were the same age. So I had a bunch of pressure of, I'm gonna be this great player this year. And I remember going out and struggling, and not only did I struggle, but every time Max pitched, there was uh, 30 to 40 people in the stands there to see him. So I struggled in front of all these people. So really challenging for me, and then I got about three quarters of the way through the season and I remember sitting down with uh, our sports psychologist at the time at the University of Missouri and I remember the way that I felt and I remember the way that I felt when I walked out of talking to him I felt really good I felt better about myself I went out that night and I think I had four hits that night and I was good after that point so fast forward into um, when my playing career was over and I remember thinking well the way that he helped me feel is the way that I want to help players feel from their careers on out and I know that whether they're in college or whether they're in professional baseball they all have their goals and they have their ideas and their dreams of what they want to accomplish in baseball and and how he made me feel and helped me remember how I felt was what I wanted to continue to do so coaching was was the easy transition for me um, and in college baseball it's that was what I knew that was what I um what I really enjoyed and it was I was getting my degree too so I was getting my degree I got my master in sports psychology at that time too so coupling all that stuff together and being at Missouri and being with the head coach that I played for it was it was a good experience and I don't know if harder is the right word but is it harder to coach in college or harder at this level <sighs> that's a good question um, they both I guess have their own challenges I, I think the pressure of college baseball is way more palpable I was up in the big leagues a little bit earlier this year in the dugout and that was the first time I had sensed in professional baseball kind of the same feel of pressure like you get in college because it's very very black or white with winning or losing hitting or not hitting pitching or not pitching there's there's not anything to do about prospects or guys that need to perform or not perform it's it's you just have to win and you just got to do whatever you can to win and that's I kind of got that same vibe and that same sense when I was up in the big leagues but that's the most challenging thing I think about college baseball, but it's also the most fun part about it too, because you are playing for something, you're playing for something bigger, and you have a whole team that you've helped build up since the fall. Mm-hmm. Those are the great parts about it. The, also the, the challenge is recruiting. Uh, I think that's just a job that never stops. I was telling somebody the other day, if you, uh, if you have a full day of uh, planning out a practice, practicing, and then you get done at five o'clock, your day is just starting because you're on the phone for another three hours talking to a bunch of people that either recruits, coaches, other coaches in the in the conference, whatever it may be. So those are the those are the challenges of that. Well, in professional baseball, the challenges I think are just the everyday grind of it, um, and just I think like how individualistic um, professional baseball is. It takes some getting used to. Uh, everybody has their own routines, their own ideas of what they want to do. In college, it's a little bit more 
team-oriented with everything that you're doing. So I think that's a little bit of a challenge in professional baseball. It takes a little bit more time, but it's also the beauty of it when you get guys like Harold and Kevin and Vladdy and Bo and all these guys, you see them individually start to reach these goals and start to do those things and those and reach their dreams that they've always wanted to. That's that's the most rewarding part too. Our thanks once again to Hunter Mentz for joining us on the Power Alley. Now it's time for a look back at the month of June. It's a month that did not start off spectacularly for the herd as they fell seven to two to Rochester in the opening game of the month. However, Sean Reed Foley the next day on June the second would pitch a gem for the Bisons and help the team score a nine five win. After returning home, it was maybe the low point of the season that came on June the 5th. The Bisons would be swept in a doubleheader by the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. Game 1 by a score of 3-0, Game 2 4-0, and the Bisons failed to put a man in scoring position. However, after that doubleheader sweep, the Bisons would win 18 games in the month of June, helping them run a record of 20-10 into July. Part of the success came against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, where Buffalo would take two out of three from their International League Northern Division foe and then hit the road, which was a crucial road trip that began in Indianapolis, where the Bisons would sweep all three games against the I-Tribe. Going into the trip that started on June the 11th, the Bisons had scored double-digit runs just four times. However, four times on the road trip, Buffalo would score 11 times or more, including on June the 12th, when the Bisons scored a 14-6 win over Indianapolis. McKinney tries to go the other way to left field. Pablo Reyes back to the warning track. Reaches up the ball, hits off the wall. McKinney will touch second. He's heading for third. Reyes just now getting to the baseball. The throw comes into Tucker, and it's a one-out triple off the bat of Billy McKinney. The lefty view is set at the waist, and his 0-1 is lined the other way to left field. The base hit. Station to station that go the runners, but the RBI knock off the bat of Socrates Brito to left has given Buffalo a 1-0 lead. The 2-2 is hit through the left side, and with the overshift on the vacated hole. Jonathan Davis will score. Anthony Alford goes from first to third. An RBI base hit off the bat of Socrates Brito. With the throw, he moves to second, but it's now a 6-2 game here in the fifth. And this one hammered into center field. That drops in for a base set. Urania hits third. He keeps on coming. He comes to the plate and scores. And the Bisons tack on a run. It's now 6-3 Indianapolis on an RBI single for the Bisons' Michael De La Cruz. Bisons are trying to get a little bit closer here. Down 6-3. They have a couple of men on, one out. The pitch. McKinney lines one towards center field. That's going to drop in for a base hit. Hanson around third. He's coming to the plate. Here's the throw from Martin. It's cut off. Hanson scores, and it's 6-4 Indianapolis as Billy McKinney Drives in Buffalo's fourth run, his second hit of the day, his ninth run batted in, and it's a two-run ball game now as the Bisons inch a little bit closer, and they have the potential go-ahead run at the plate now in Anthony Alford. Here's the one-two to Alford, and he shoots one in the air to deep right. Shuck goes back. This ball's got a chance. It's still going. It is gone. Three-run home run for Anthony Alford, and the Bisons have come all the way back to take the lead. It's now 7-6. to six. Here is the next pitch, and a swing and a drive. Deep right center field. This one is way back. That one is way out of here. Socrates Brito, a three-hit day. His fourth homer, and the Bisons extend the lead to 8-6. to six. 
Ochoa is served out in the center field, falling quickly. That's a base hit. Routing third, heading for home is McKinney. The throw is up the line and cut off. What else is new for Socrates Brito? His fourth RBI base hit of the game. It's now a 9-6 Bison's lead as Billy McKinney scores from second. Lefty on lefty, the situation, the 1-1 pitch. He is skied in the air out to straightaway center field. Martin ranging back in front of the warning track. He'll make the play. Tagging heading for home is McKinney. So a sacrifice fly off the bat of Socrates Brito gives him his fifth RBI of the day and advances the Bison's lead now to 13-6 here in the ninth. The runners on the bases for the herd as De La Cruz lines one in a right field of base hit. The hurdle goes station to station. Alford scores for Michael De La Cruz. That's his second RBI of the game. And it's now 14-6 herd here in the ninth. It was also on that road trip where Bo Bichette rejoined the Buffalo Bisons as he joined the herd for the final game in Indy and then would continue on the road as Buffalo took two out of three from Louisville. However, it would be a leadoff home run for the Bisons in their 3-2 loss to the Bats that helped reestablish Bichette with the herd. Went one for six yesterday and he swings away and Skies went out to center field. Going back is Irvin in front of the track. Home run! Straight away center field, Bo Bichette starts this game off with a bang and collects his second homer of the season for the Bisons. It's one nothing herd. That was one of two home runs for the Bison shortstop in the month of June. He hit 333 overall and currently sits right around the 300 mark in batting average on the season. After returning home from the successful 5-1 road trip, the Bisons would host Indianapolis and Norfolk. It would be a four-game series sweep against the Tides that helped Buffalo really set the tone for the month of June, including a top of the seventh inning base hit by Allen Hansen that helped Buffalo secure the sweep. The 0-1. Hit the other way, a base hit to right field. Rounding third, heading for home is Arania. Here comes the throw from Williams. It's offline, and he's safe. Richard Arania scores on the base hit off the bat of Allen Hansen, and the Bisons take a 1-0 lead in the seventh. The Herd would finish the month of June in Syracuse, dropping the final game of the month 10-4 to Syracuse. However, twice before that, picking up wins, including Thomas Pannone, his second win of the week for the Bisons in a 9-3 victory over Syracuse, helped secure Pannone the International League Pitcher of the Week honors and helped him out to a 2-0 record. So the Bisons went 20-10 in the month of June, and they continued to find themselves in the playoff hunt in not only the International League's Northern Division, but also currently in the wildcard chase. As we continue on the power alley, now it's time for my conversation with Howard Kelman. He has called more than 6,000 baseball games in his entire broadcast career, and I enjoyed catching up with the Indianapolis broadcast legend earlier last month. It's great to spend time with you and so many other great people like the Duke, Duke McGuire, Mike Butchkowski. You're going to miss Mike Harrington this trip, but uh, I can go on and on about all the terrific people here. Well, that's kind of what I want to ask you about is you've been in this league and seen a lot of faces, known a lot of people throughout your time. How special is it when you come here to Buffalo and, and see folks that you've seen since the American Association days? Well, I think it's extremely special. It goes back to 1985, the first time we came here, and the warmth that I've always felt from these people, and also Pete Weber years ago and Greg Brown, and is absolutely terrific. And that's why it's such a special place. And you know, I, I enjoyed the ball games first coming here. I'm from New York City originally, so I'm in my home state. 
But uh, there was also a man who's obviously passed away because it was a while ago named Joe Overfield, who was very nice to me too, a baseball historian when I first uh, started coming to Buffalo. I used to have lunch with him in the 1980s. So I could go on and on about the warmth and the hospitality I've felt from so many people, including you, in this city. You know, that's one thing that strikes me is when you talk to guys throughout the league, when they go up to maybe the big leagues or go to a different sport, it's not they they miss the games, but they miss the people around the game. And that's what I think makes uh, this league and and all the the partnerships that we foster so special. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. And we used to have quite a rivalry with the Bisons in the American Association days from 1985 to 1997 because we were in the same division, the American Association East, and we would come here instead of playing one series here in six or eight games a year, we'd play over 20 games a year. So there would be intense rivalries. And the last year of the association, when Buffalo won the championship, Indianapolis was ahead two games to one, winning game three here. Terrific comeback. And the Bisons, to their credit, won games four and five. Who are some of the players maybe you remember from from the Bison days or or even the Indianapolis side of things that made that rivalry so much fun? Well, it's not only players, but I'll, I'll always remember 1988, the first year of this beautiful ballpark, Pilot Field, Rocky Bridges was the manager, one of the most colorful characters ever in baseball. I remember Rocky talking about day-night doubleheaders saying, those things are just like a day at the beach. And, and Jackie Brown, who was so friendly. Mark Bombard, who did a great job managing here. And, and a lot of good players. Joe Deesa stands out. We had a Uh, a brawl on July of 1986 and July of 86, so he stands out. Uh, Jeff Manto, who's a wonderful person in addition to having great years with the Bisons. So there are so many guys, and again, we're going back to 1985. I remember being here in April, I think it was 1986, it was definitely the old ballpark, waking up, and in those days, the first thing you would do would turn on the uh, radio uh, back then, (laughs) And the wind chill was five degrees, and we played the game that night. What was it like to go from that ballpark here in Buffalo and then to come to this beautiful new palace and, you know, something you you experienced in Indianapolis in in the mid-'90s as well? Right, exactly. For us, it was in 1996. Here it was in 1988, and it was a change of night and day. And a war memorial stadium known as the Rock Pile, and there were major issues there, no question about that. And we were thrilled. I remember the first time we was known as Pilot Field in 1988, the first time we came here. And it was so special and drawing a million people those years. And we had great rivalries in 1988 and 89. Indianapolis beat out Buffalo. Indianapolis won the championship. In 91 and 92, the Bisons finished ahead of the Indians. We had some great battles in those years, too, uh, for first place. You know, I can't help but think about when I used to come here as a kid it, in those rivalries and sit in the bleacher seats, the old bleachers here at the ballpark, and it just it felt like the big leagues. You know, over 20,000 people a night, more than a million fans like you mentioned. It just felt special. It certainly did, and especially Friday nights. They had the Friday night bash, they'd call it. When that was your biggest night, you'd have 19 or 20,000 people, and that inspires people. I mean, everybody likes to play in front of larger crowds. So uh, it, it's, this has always been a special place, and I first learned a lot about Buffalo 
from a man who was a very prominent sportscaster here from 1948 to 64, Bill Mazur, who obviously passed before your time, but he was very, very prominent. He announced the Buffalo Bisons in addition to the sports anchor, and he told me a lot about it, and he used to talk about Buffalo. Buffalo Bill, we used to call him, and I learned he was a bit of a mentor to me also. Just a couple more moments here with Howard Kelman on Countdown to Bison's Baseball. Let's take it forward a little bit. The 2005 playoffs were pretty special for Indianapolis. Not so much for the Bisons. Last time Buffalo made the playoffs and Indy kind of spoiled the party. Yes, and that is one of the great moments in the history of the Indianapolis Indians franchise, Patter. And we go back to 1902 because Buffalo won the first two games of the best of five in Indianapolis. Now we have to go up to Buffalo and sweep the series, and that's extremely hard to do on the road. And the Indianapolis Indians pulled it off. They did it, it was incredible. And then we went and played Toledo for the Governor's Cup, but the Mudhens swept that series in three. We had a terrific team early that year, the first few months, but players like Zach Duke and Ian Snell and Nate McLeod were called to the big leagues. But uh, we'll always remember that. And I know, as you said, it's the last time the Bisons have been in. But that was just one of the great moments to overcome a 2-0 deficit, winning three straight on the road. I, if, I have to ask you about Pete Weber and your time spent with him. And if there's a special moment or memory that you have about uh, the time that you two were in the league together. Well, if you ask him that, it'll tell you about the time they put a smoke bomb in the broadcast booth. I don't know if you knew about that. No. There, there's a recording of that somewhere the Bisons have. And I tell you what, I forget what year that was in. I think it was the early 90s. And I see a fire and somehow I kept my cool. I wish I always handled situations that way. And I kept broadcasting and I can't remember all the specifics. But I don't know what it was, but Pete is a really good friend. And then I looked over to the other booth and I saw everybody laughing in there. So they knew what was going on. But uh, and I saw Pete, by the way, we spent my wife, Robin, and I spent uh, an evening with he and Claudia in Nashville back in 2016. We went to a Predators game. So uh, Pete is a great friend, great guy and uh, just sharing a lot of time with him over the years and uh, it could be funny and as you found out a practical joke or two and if you check the files when when they did some history i think you'll find that in there my reaction to it well howard appreciate your time we won't be pulling any smoke bombs on you this time and uh, hope you enjoyed your time here in buffalo pat i always do it's always great and thank you so much for your kind words many thanks again to the longtime voice of the i tribe howard kelman and to Pete Weber as well for the hijinks that he played that led to such a great story in his time at Pilot Field. That'll do it for this episode of the Power Alley. I look forward to catching up with you again next month. I'm Pat Melicaro. We'll talk to you next month on the Power Alley.